0: Welcome back to There Will Be Movies. This is our podcast where we discuss 25 of our favourite movies from any given decade. We are in our fourth volume where we are discovering 25 of our favourite movies from the 1980s. This is our penultimate and also last regular episode of the miniseries. Tease. Foreshadowing. (laughs) We have finally entered the heady year of 1989. Great year. Is there a personal reason why you think 1989 is a good year? I mean, yeah, I was born. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that, that, that's what I was teeing up. So, yeah, yeah, So I, I, was, uh,
1: I was born and, and movies got better, worse, I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, a year, a year and a half ago, we discussed my birth year of 1992. Disgusting.
1: <laughs> and it's, only here th- we are- it's only three less, I don't know why I act like you're like ten years younger than me or something like that. <laughs> and now here we are, in the twilight of this podcast. Mm-hmm.
0: Never again if we do this podcast, unless we literally wait ten years. Will we discuss a movie from before we were born, uh, from after we were born?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> we've gone about it in a very weird way. We were impatient. We wanted to do the the twenty twenties, but it was like twenty. No, we wanted to do the twenty tens, but it was like twenty nineteen. So we started with the two thousands.
0: I was just really <sighs> amped for Parasite. I think.
1: Yeah, if we could do it all again. Do we start at the earliest? We're willing to go back and then work forwards? I think,
0: yeah, I think it benefited from us discussing movies that were, like, formative to us. Obviously, the early two thousand episodes maybe weren't quite as much, but I definitely think it, it helped from being like, we're eighteen, watching grown-up movies for the first time in that 2000s one that allowed mm. us to, like, progress into... Talking about movies more interestingly, like I don't think if we started the podcast talking about The Shining We would have been as good as if we as when we started talking about like Ocean's Eleven. Oh and... sure,
1: speaking of being 18 and watching grown-up movies for the first time
0: Yes, as I have not mentioned yet Yes I'm Ben Phillips You are You're Matt Waters As far as I know And we're discussing 1989's masterpiece, Do The Right Thing Now at the end of our previous episode,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Matt dropped the bombshell that he had not watched this movie since he was 18 years old. Uh, watching this I, I think film, 19, technically, 19, whatever. Watching it for film school, which, yeah. as we all know, if you've ever done English to any kind of, like, reasonable degree to, like, but beyond being, like, 15, 16 years old, if you've done English courses, you will find some books that you outright loathe that are, like, very well respected within the canon. <laughs> yeah. For me, that is Robinson Crusoe. <laughs> um,
1: yeah.
0: A book I find staggering that it is still heralded as one of the great works of of literature. He proclaims to build a parasol with mm-hmm. like a working spring mechanism to allow it to like retract and and whatnot. I don't think he has a working knowledge of how springs mechanisms work because every other thing I've read from that story is he Robinson Crusoe is the world's dumbest man.
1: In this movie, a man is called bugging out. <laughs>
0: Which is only slightly dumber (laughs) than Robinson Crusoe as a name.
1: Sure. Yeah, I think what you were getting at with that is the other part of the bombshell I dropped was I didn't like it when I watched it when I was 19. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that was the other part of the bombshell. Okay, I still don't love it. Okay. I have complicated feelings about Spike Lee. (laughs) So before we dive
0: into the movie, what Spike Lees have you seen? Because obviously Spike Lee is... A director who we have yet to cover on yes. this podcast. Like, like, there are movies we could have discussed from any decade. And obviously, he is someone who's also had probably one of the greater downturns for, like, a heralded great director. Just running through his movies, I, I, I doubt that you're, like, a She's Got to have it or School Days fan. Fan? Just, no, I've seen She's Got a Habit. You wouldn't put it on your 80s list? No. For the 90s, it really is kind of like Jungle Fever or Malcolm X.
1: To i'll run. have you know as a as a defender of he got game <laughs> with jesus shuttlesworth played by ray allen hell of a movie is
0: that your favorite spike lee because it's about basketball
1: yeah i've <laughs> I've, I've never seen malcolm x i'm sorry everyone i'm sure jerome will furiously subtweet me i've never seen malcolm X. I, I hear it's very good <laughs> it is it's also very long Okay. 25th uh,
0: Hour would be the tw- no, the 2000s choice. And then obviously he comes back with Black Clansman in the 2010s. I like Black
1: Clansman.
0: Um, I also adore The Five Bloods. So I think that's one of the best movies of 2020. He is a director who also has some like real real shite to his name like he did the old boy remake in 2013 wild that he did that but I, yeah like, So like, where, do you, where do you stand on like what's your what's your go-to spike lee
1: i don't like his early work like the what for many people is like good spike lee that they wish he'd get back to i'm like i don't like most of this and like i like inside man i like black landsman <laughs> i like he got game obviously i like he got game because basketball's in it i appreciate it. that's not The best of films in the world. I think he's a very good director, I think he's a shitty writer, is my take and like, I think in that way he is a lot like Quentin Tarantino, where like I agree, Quentin Tarantino can point a camera at a thing and and make a shot I think both of them are corny as fuck (laughs) and (laughs) write pretty cringe stuff and I wish they would direct things other people wrote, but they probably wouldn't want to do that I'm sure Spike Lee's directed something someone else wrote, but
0: i think he really gets into writing stuff that other people wrote kind of like in the middle era like obviously he didn't write the old boy inside man is not a movie that he wrote
1: and you can tell
0: <laughs> <laughs> i think he is someone who is very good at directing
1: their anger yeah i mean he he you know emotion and 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 like people angrily ranting direct to camera obviously travelators aren't part of that but you know another of his signatures i think he has some deep issues <laughs> Quite frankly, with <laughs> I think he's very misogynistic. Oh yeah, we will
0: definitely get into the misogyny at the, the, at the core of this movie. Yeah. Like, I'm not I I do think this is one of the best movies of the 80s. I think it is inescapable that this movie is very much written from the point of view of a young. angry person obviously he was what he was like 35 when he makes this movie or like maybe maybe like 30 years old when he makes this
1: movie and i also don't know about putting yourself in your like movie (laughs) where like you make all the right decisions and everything (laughs) (laughs) where you literally do the right thing yeah there's such a difficult topic but like i don't think it's okay to be racist to asian people just because you have suffered great racial discrimination as a black person, personally, that's that's where I'm at, and I think this is a thing you see in a great deal of black art and black entertainment is a great deal of, like, vitriol and, like, you know, harmless everyday racism, which by the by, you know, plenty of white people are, like, violently racist, but a larger number, I think, are what you would call an everyday racist, where they just, like, just say shitty things about black people, and I think it's the same deal obviously i don't think black people are lynching asian people or anything like that so i don't want to like compare trauma because i mean you know when you start doing that like you know nobody fucking wins but like yeah i just think he has a great deal of obviously and like if you know i don't want to diminish because i mean this this movie was famously unpopular with i think it made white critics very uncomfortable. Um, It made
0: some white critics very uncomfortable. Not Roger Ebert, though. He's a a real one. (laughs) It was Roger Ebert's favourite movie of the year, I believe. It was also Gene Siskel's favourite movie of the year. They both had it in their top ten for movies of the 1980s. He threatened Um, to
1: boycott Cannes, I think, because they didn't recognise it. Yep, and And, um, and
0: obviously this movie did do respectably at the Oscars. I mean, it got two nominations. Of course, one of those nominations was for screenplay written directly for the screen. mm -hmm. The other one was for Danny A yellow for supporting actor which is one of those like weird things where it's like of course the only actor that you recognize from the movie with a majority person of color cast is the is the white italian man i think john tortura is
1: better in it (laughs) um no but i mean look let's be for real a lot of the actors in this movie are not very experienced are not very good no
0: i i'm I'm like who would you point
1: at and say they are giving a significantly better performance ...than Danny Aiello, who has to actually shoulder quite... I know he's, like, you know, sort of the villain of the movie... ...but he does have to shoulder a lot of the acting burden is Spike Lee the only contender which you know he's not a great actor. <laughs> no he's not and and obviously the they obviously wanted to get a name. They wanted um Robert De Niro
0: didn't they? They did. They wanted a name to play the owner of the owner yeah. of the pizza, pizza place. Which makes sense and and yeah. Robert De Niro would would fit in that role. I yeah. it is as well as Yeah, it does
1: suck that like, you know. I mean it's good they got the the screenplay Nom as well, but, you know, as you say, like, for one of the very few white actors in it gets something in this movie that is, like, painfully about black people and black culture and, and, and a moment in... Well, I say a moment. I mean, one of the big things with the movie is it's, like, prescient, you know, still to this day, you know, this kind of stuff. But, you know, it, it felt very charged in the moment kind of thing
0: yeah should we do the oscars now just because we're already broaching the top of the oscars so (laughs) like obviously it's 1989 our first foray we're gonna do little bits and pieces in 1989 we're gonna save the box office for next week Mm -hmm. uh with our final episode so so matthew run me through
1: yeah who was nominated for best picture at the oscars in 1989 wow we had born on the 4th of july dead poets society driving miss daisy the winner field of dreams and my left foot good collection of movies i would say I think I like all of them better than do the right thing. Oh, not, you... dri- not driving Miss Daisy. Sorry, I forget the one that actually fucking won it. Yeah, driving Miss Daisy is like because obviously that is the the legacy of that movie. That that's racism for white people. That's why that is preferred to do the right thing because do the right thing doesn't make any like excuses about anything, and it's like no oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> and obviously it's the legacy of that
0: this movie and what made the, the 2018 Oscar season so potent in some ways was I, I'm not saying that I think Black Klansman should have won Best Picture that year, mm. but the fact that once again you have Spike Lee up in, in the contention for one of the big five awards up against a movie which is about...
1: Oh, Green Book one didn't it? Yes, it, it was oh. the year that Green Book won. <laughs> so, you
0: have, so you have Spike Lee once again in a movie written, directed by white people. Yes. About race, but told from the point of view of like a white character, or centering mm. a white character in some way. Obviously, they flip the dynamic because it's the it's the white man driving the black person in in Green Book. So mm. progress in that yeah. in that thirty oh, year span see?
1: done it solved it over already. And like Spike Lee doesn't get a look in for best director. Oliver Stone wins against Spike Lee's good friend Woody Allen, Peter Weir, Kenneth Branagh, and Jim Sheridan. For me, it's shocking that the Love goes towards the script rather than the direction, because like this is another one that like is basically a pure vibes movie. Yes, it, it, this that is what I was going to say was that like
0: a lot of the like the energy of this movie is coming from the the way that it's directed as opposed to the way yeah. that it's written because for 90 minutes of this movie <laughs> this movie is literally just kind of like bouncing around
1: here's what's happening on this street here are some people that all know each other oh look uh, this guy <laughs> he's scuffed his jordans wow i hope he doesn't go on to own a chicken shop um <laughs> but yeah like that's the thing is like and like, then I, suddenly boom <laughs> yes
0: i watched this with my partner and she kind of turned to me kind of like 10 minutes in and saying like there's there's a lot of characters in this movie, yeah, and it are. and and it's one of those things where it's just like yes, there are, but you kind of you do and don't need to pay attention. Again, it is just kind of like you will get the the ebbs and flows of this street, and you just need to be aware that the movie sets itself up with that opening scene with Samuel L. Jackson doing the kind of like the radio broadcast <laughs> about like how hot it is. And sorry,
1: what's what what's his name? Samuel uh, Samuel L. Jackson. No. Not true.
0: Oh, what well, you want his actual character's name?
1: Yes. Mr. Senior Love Daddy. Yes, and also he's credited as Sam Jackson because we're well, that Sam. early in his career. Yeah,
0: in in this window where he's, what, he's post some of his, like, early drug addict years and he's, <laughs> yeah. like, starting to to make the come around into yeah. being a legit actor. No, um,
1: Mr. Senior Love Daddy <laughs> claims to broadcast 12 hours a day. <laughs> I mean, you know, fair play to him. But, yeah. An unconventional narrator for the movie, but a good one. I mean, 12 hours a
0: day of radio is, like, tough work. Because I've done, like... Three to four hours of radio, and it's like it's not easy to just be constantly on your head. I guess all that he is doing is just introducing the songs and kind of also speaking to people on the street. Like, I mean, there, yeah, are, I... there are points in his broadcast where he's just like, Yo, Mookie, I can see you walking on the road out there.
1: <laughs> oh, he's brought me food. I'm going to eat it while you talk. <laughs> um,
0: and, like, I mean, when I worked in, in radio, we have an FM license, which obviously I, I believe he is broadcasting on FM frequency in this movie. But it was a like a community <laughs> FM license, and we had to like keep up with certain laws and rules for I like mean, what the broadcast is. He's reading was weather. Be.
1: He's reading like news reports. He's just doing it in his own way. <laughs>
0: I just can't imagine like the FTC coming around to like just check that he's like maintaining the yeah. right level of songs to talk in an hour. Obviously, fun job. He he obviously doesn't have a very strong FM broadcast because I have to imagine <laughs> he's exclusively broadcasting to like this one street in Bedstuy.
1: I think it's pirate radio, I don't think think he's got any kind of license, and I think he's just putting it out to anyone in the local area.
0: Do you reckon he's on AM, not FM, and he's lying about that? (laughs) Yeah,
1: absolutely. (laughs) Reminded of the the tattoo and hot rod. Anyway, that's a joke for four people. Anyway, um, but the movie doesn't start with Sam Jackson. No, it doesn't. The movie starts with a young Rosie Perez... I did not have a pleasant time making this movie. No,
0: yeah, the, the the key, the the bulk of the the misogyny in this movie is is shouldered on Rosie Perez. We will get to the real gross thing that had to happen in this movie, yeah. didn't
1: didn't yeah. have to happen, but did happen <laughs> in this movie. But given it a heroic effort, dancing to the entirety of "Fight the Power." <laughs> How much do you reckon they paid for "Fight the Power" in this movie? Because I mean, like, it's never not playing. Yeah, either. and. Radio Rahim literally listening to it constantly is certainly a thing. I don't know, I mean Spike Lee has used Public Enemy in like literally, well I don't think literally all of his movies, but he's used them a great deal. And maybe that's because, you know, Do The Right Thing made the song even bigger or something, so they're like, ah, you're alright. But yeah, I mean, I can't imagine you pay a one-time license fee and just get to play the song like 30 times. But yeah, no, uh, he he saw her dancing in LA, I think, and yeah, she's she's really going for it. I do really like Rosie Perez in this movie. Like, Yeah, I mean, I like Rosie Perez in everything. I chickened out on making us do White Men Can't Jump in the 90s, but a very enjoyable performance as she goes on Jeopardy and wins it all. Oh, I mean, we haven't done the, the, the Addender episode for the 90s or the 80s yet, so like... I think, no, I'm good with it, I just, I think... It would have been another three-star classic, as you like to call them, a three-star special, where it's not good, but it's really fun.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've not seen it, but I do like the idea of, like, us doing a podcast picture, which is exclusively you making me watch basketball movies. <laughs> okay. Like, like we, we can do, do We do White Men Can't Jump. We do yeah. love them basketball.
1: Above the he, Rim. He Got, he got game. game. Yeah. That one where Ben Affleck's a drunk. Coach Carter... There's loads. I watched Amateur, I think it's called, where it's like a teenager with undiagnosed ADHD and stuff. And then that one with Adam Sandler that was good. I didn't really like High Flying Bird. I think you would like High Flying Bird. Yeah, I like
0: Soderbergh doing his like wanky iPhone thing. But obviously, High Flying Bird is about like there's no fucking basketball in that. What does it mean to be basketball? What does it mean to sell the rights to playing basketball? (laughs) Like, can a black person own their commodity in the?
1: the I think it's interesting. It just would have been real good if they got some basketball players to be in the fucking thing. <laughs> no, they can't, though, because they're in a, in a lockdown or yeah, whatever. Yeah, but the whole thing is they play in a closed gym. Like, show me it. <laughs> anyway. All right, we can definitely do a basketball podcast. But for now, we cannot. Rosie Perez, good in everything, charismatic woman, a delight, even Yeah, in so someone who... <laughs>
0: obviously, like, spent a lot of time on TV, I feel like. More so in the movies, but obviously when she shows up in movies she is obviously good in, in movies and whatnot, like, I mean she she's DCEU version of Renee Montoya. Uh,
1: I don't like that casting, but she's still fun in it. Yes, I mean obviously But she, I, but she I is also, one of one Like there is yes. no one like
0: her I mean she's on The Flight Attendant I swear she's got yes. another TV show under her belt as well That was like relatively big Not counting The View And however many episodes she, she
1: co-hosted on The View I don't know, I, I only really know her from movies to be honest
0: Yeah, it, it just like She's always someone who like just cropped up on things every so often Pineapple I Express
1: for instance Yes,
0: Pineapple Express for instance <laughs> And of course she voices Chell in The Road to El Dorado. Yeah. The, the, the greatest bisexual movie of all time. Yes, true.
1: Yes, true. He says wildly to an inflammatory statement. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's going to be an episode where I'm not very popular anyway, so... Oh, yeah, no. Just get it out
0: there. But yeah, like, so... I'm just trying to think, like, what well, the best way to tackle this movie is. Because obviously, this is a very formless, plotless movie until the plot so does just come... Goes to a 9,000. Yes, and obviously, this movie is before the L.A. riots. Yes. And I'm not saying that, like, the two are linked, but it is definitely getting at something that is bubbling away in the culture.
1: Yeah. I mean, there had been police killings in New York, like, two years before, and they they shout Howard Beach, Howard Beach at the end, which is is the main one that inspired him to write it. He dedicated the movie to the six victims, um, or six six of the victims of, of police brutality in New York. But yeah, I mean, that was one of the big things, is a lot of white critics, or... or I think normally, like, I think we're talking lower-end ones, like local paper-type people. Um. But, like, ones who maybe have
0: more, say, outside of kind of the East-West Coast... Yeah.
1: Uh, they,
0: like, the, they... like, the LA, LA New, New York Film critic Circles are probably reviewing this with a level of, like, yeah. maybe not being reviewed by black critics, but like a level of awareness for the culture, because it's just inescapable in parts of those cities.
1: But I think through Central America, Middle America, not Central America, that's a very different thing, (laughs) through Middle America, I think you have a lot of pearl clutching, and people who are terrified that black people are going to see this become indoctrinated and start smashing things.
0: Well, I think that's that's the the key thing, which is like, there are people who watch this movie, and think this movie is going to incite violence, Mm -hmm. rather than this movie realising that that, like violence is very close to to kind of bubbling over because of the way in which people of color in particular black people are being kind of like neglected or abused or prejudiced against in this society and whatnot and
1: yeah. the melting pot and it's hot as fuck and i think spike lee was inspired by an alfred hitchcock project i guess shopping for death which has this theory that like hot weather can affect violence I think people get irritable and, and, and life is, is shitter when, when it's like in the middle of a heat wave and then you've got, you know, as you said, there's all these issues bubbling away in the neighborhood on a micro and a macro level and across the country and yeah. But I mean, and, and like Spike Lee is- very rightly is like this is a ridiculous statement and like, you know, I've never heard of people being worried white people are going to go and riot after they watch, like, uh, you know, a white led action movie or whatever. But um, it's also, I mean, even when you get down to, like,
0: the ways in which people act after sporting events. Yeah. Um, and football like, hooliganism. Like, yeah, football hooliganism, which is obviously in the press at the moment because the World Cup is on. I mean, someone was making a point earlier on tonight that I believe a, a country who has just recently been accepted into, into the EU is currently rioting because they've won a match in the World Cup. Mm-hmm. And someone correctly pointed out saying, like, this is just having a riot after winning a football game is just the way that you become a European country. <laughs> like, you cannot judge them for doing this when it happens in every single country. I mean, England Often, like... are the worst for it, by far. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, like, we, we have an entire culture of, of football hooliganism. Firm like, we make, movies, we make movies that, like, glorify this stuff. You yeah. even get down to, like, what happens on in cities in America where they've won the Super Bowl and just the level of things that happen. And then, again, the pearl clutching that happens mm-hmm. after someone is killed, not even by accident. Like, I mean, you can say it's by accident, but there is a a level of like distrust in the culture. Those feel like far more legitimate reasons to destroy public property because of a, a bubbling rage than because your sports team one again. And again, like, it's things that we are talking about as a culture and that have never gone away in the 30 years since this movie came out. It's why Black Klansmen ends the way that it does. It ends with the the clips of the multitude of kind of like racial protests that happens. I mean, even down yeah. to the fact that, like, the amount of people who were willing to put their lives at risk over the course of the pandemic because of the racial injustices that were happening. And of course, like, the pearl clutching that was happening around that in terms of people going, like, well, they're just exacerbating the spread of COVID. Like, Look at the things they're doing. They're destroying property and they're making COVID worse and whatnot. And it's like you like, you realize you understand it's because in a time in which people should be locked inside their houses, we were still finding ways to to murder black people.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Obviously, I agree with you on all your points. Like none of the actors in this movie are like particularly throwing out like legendary defining performances. No, it isn't a movie that has like the best well-crafted script of all time. It is a movie that I feel is so fully channeling a righteous sense of anger that makes it important and i know that makes it sound like oh because it's about race i think the movie is good which is the sort of thing that i feel like would get levied against someone nowadays is the sort of thing you hear people saying that like you don't actually think black panther is good you just agree with it because it supports woke causes. yeah (laughs) <laughs> and, and, and i'm also not saying that you don't like it because it's woke you don't like it for legitimate kind of like yeah. film, a, filmic reasons and it not like again you are less of a vibe check kind of like person when it comes yeah. to and and more of someone like you are far more than me an english graduate someone who really likes a good well-structured script
1: i lean on the side of theater and a writer's script kind of thing and I'm, I'm not saying i don't enjoy like when A director is like really fucking showing off and like look at the fucking shot I have created. But like if I am offered option A and option B of like pure vibes or like maybe it isn't very stylish, but my god, did they write the fuck out of it? I'm going for option B every time. And yeah, I mean, it it is a difficult movie to not be a fan of because like I sound like a fucking racist or something. And I would like to think that 99 episodes of this plus however much else I've done for this network and all the stuff I've written. I would hope that all speaks for itself, in that I do have nice, good values and I'm not a racist. I I genuinely don't like it as a... I think it's important. I 100% understand why it is held up as an incredibly important, protected work. I think, as a movie, as, as a piece of script writing and acting and all of that, I think it has some shortcomings that mean I'm never gonna love it. I don't dislike it, either. I just... I just... I don't have that strong emotional like yeah I love do the right yeah. thing kind it's, of
0: thing. It's it's not scratching your itch. I mean no. I'm I'm editing whilst we well not right now but like at this point in time I'm editing our diehard episode <laughs> and you can hear. like your passion for the script and kind of like the the way that thing is structured and i love the way that this movie is structured i love the Mm. fact that this movie has absolutely nothing going on (laughs) apart from just introducing you to this street and obviously all of the characters we introduced to are important and all of it is building a real legitimate living breathing street in new york
1: yeah, I think but it, I I do think it succeeds in that way. Like I don't want to say everyone is of equal importance, but almost everyone is of equal importance. And like you know, the three guys sitting on the against the red wall are as big of a character as Bugging Out or Radio Rahim. Like, I mean, that's the
0: thing, it's like it, it's interesting when you come to it because obviously Bugging Out, Radio Rahim, and Smiley <laughs> are the kind of the three characters that mm. initiate that 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 final yes. stretch of of things going wrong. And Smiley does get a button on what they've been doing for the rest of the movie. I feel like those three characters do get to feel like okay, sure. they, they've they kind of come full circle. But yeah, you... like,
1: what should be just random as are all as lived in as each other kind of thing and it does feel like these are the residents of this community kind of thing and like yeah. you know Martin Lawrence and his crew of, of delinquents those are the ones that don't that don't come together. Because obviously
0: even like someone like Coconut Sid <laughs> with the, the the owners of the of the little bodega like mm. that that gets a button to the end of its at the end of its story
1: yeah i guess like just
0: just in terms of like the, the like the the tensions or the arguments that are happening earlier on the movie feel like they do come to a close with those it is the martin lawrence group that is just almost like a greek chorus
1: throughout the yeah well like, <laughs> like, like knowing are... that martin lawrence is a stand-up at this point i don't know if this is his first movie but obviously he's, he's huge and stand-up at this point and this is his first movie yeah like, um, and then next year's house party. Yeah, and if you told me that whole quartet were just comedians that all knew each other and, like, they just improvised all their dialogue, I would believe you, but I don't think that is the case. <laughs> but
0: No, but, that, yeah, but um, that is the thing, is, like, those those ones are literally
1: just... No, but, like, they are, like, the key, like, witnesses and, like arguably the you know part of the catalyst of the end like you know they are sal wants to close and those four want a slice and he's like okay fine Mm. you four can come in and then that allows rahim and baggan out to come in and now of course they wanted to do this either way and maybe they would have barged their way in or broken their way in or just done this the next day but like i do think those four are a key part to it But as you say, they are kind of like a Greek chorus. They are kind of just giving reaction to everything else that is happening. Like, you know, they're egging on, bugging out as he's, like, going after the guy. Big fan of the guy being on a Larry Bird jersey. (laughs) Just (laughs) just that subtle thing of, of, you know, the rivalry of the 80s is whitest person on earth, Larry Bird and Magic Johnson. You know, beloved, beloved athlete. To the point that you have people in New York wearing Lakers jerseys and that's fine but like they're fucking furious with Larry Bird (laughs) a Larry Bird jersey in Brooklyn or or if they're in Bed-Stuy but he was born in Brooklyn um, and they boo him for that but like that feels very pointed like oh obviously he'd be a he'd be a Larry Bird fan what's the jersey that Mookie wears Mookie's wearing a Dodgers jersey he's wearing a Dodgers yeah 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 the Brooklyn Dodgers who I think then I think they became the LA Dodgers? They moved across or it might have been the other way around. I don't know. Because it, 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 obviously like <laughs> the legacy of Spike Lee is Spike Lee is a, is a Knicks fan, isn't he? <laughs> Famously, yes. Yeah, there's a 30 for 30 with, so like the Knicks were like bitter rivals with the Indiana Pacers and, and they're their best player, Reggie Miller, who is Jerome sounds like, least favourite player of all time, for some reason, <laughs> uh, fucking hates Reggie Miller. And Reggie Miller famously did, like, a like a choke gesture at Spike Lee. Like, he put, like, he mimed both of his hands around his own throat at Spike Lee, and they have this, like, famous beef. And yeah, he's, like, courtside at, like, not every Knicks game, but a lot of them. He's, like, the world's probably one of the big. It's, like, Jack Nicholson for the Lakers... And I think they even got a Jack Nicholson look-alike to be in uh, Winning Time. Is that the name of the fucking show I watched all
0: they cut to him when they go, like, he's Jack Nicholson? Like, yeah. yeah. The other thing is, obviously, I know, and in the run-up to this, you obviously mentioned Spike Lee having written the story for one of the NBA 2K games. Yeah, it's fucking
1: bad. It's, like, the worst <laughs> thing you've ever seen in your life. His best friend is a ghost, and he delivers a ghost <laughs> monologue to him. And the main character is called Frequency Vibrations. That's not a nickname, that is his, his given name. I mean, that's exactly what I'm planning on naming my child. Yes, of course. Frequency Vibrations Phillips. Yeah, Free vibe, Free Vibes will yeah, be there, yeah. there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> but no, and, like, Spike Lee, you know, is also incredibly famous for his work with Michael Jordan. The, the famous series of commercials, it's gotta be the shoes, and, like, the best on Earth, the best on Mars. Um, yeah, his character from, I think it's from She's Gotta Have It? Mars Blackman, I think his name is. Who, I think Spike Lee has revealed, is the son of <laughs> fucking... Rosie Perez's character in this movie <laughs> and it's like how does that oh, work
0: okay, okay. how does that work <laughs> or maybe that is that not for the the TV remake of She's Gotta Have It
1: oh maybe that's what plays. he meant maybe that's what he meant yeah he plays the new Mars I think that would make sense because then it's two Hispanic actors but either way it's all he crosses a lot of his characters and concepts over like there's Sal's Pizza and Inside Man and stuff like that and but yeah I forget how this tangent started but yes I, I, Spike I, Lee is I, huge 22. for like baseball or basketball? Okay, it is baseball. But, like, yeah, Spike Lee is big, is huge for, like, trainer culture. and, And, like, you know, Michael Jordan gets most of the credit for, like, turning sports shoes into a designer thing. But, like, a lot of people say it is those adverts that Spike Lee did with Michael Jordan that made Jordan this huge thing. And then, like, one of the big Possibly the most quotable scene in the movie is bugging out getting his... his Jordan scuffed by a white dude? And then that, you know, there are songs named after that and stuff. But yeah, it's just a funny little, like, reciprocal thing where he had a big deal with, with Jordans and then they're a big element in the movie. Derek. No, no, Huge good. Tangent, I tangent. But... Loved
0: it. Loved it. Um, <laughs> so I do have to ask. So obviously this yes. is a movie and I think it's... One that has become become a recurring theme in terms of movies which I love and you don't is that like every single
1: character in this movie
0: is an arsehole.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have been one of those people before, and then when I see it reflected back, I'm like, oh, that's a gross, that's not a good camp to be in. The people who are like, I must like the main character. I cannot watch things about bad people, and I'm like, you know what, I don't think I think that anymore. Um, (laughs) I don't really have a a problem with anyone in this movie not you know arguably not being a good person i don't think mucky is the worst person in the world like
0: no uh, but he's very obvious that he isn't like a good dad no like he <laughs> isn't a good dad obviously all of the italians in the pizza restaurant are like racist. racist yeah racist in that way obviously the worst of them is john Totoro. but like sal is like yeah for a, they give for they give a, me money For
1: a while, they try and sell you on the idea Sal isn't racist, and then he's like hardcore racist. He's the one dropping the hard N-word. Yeah, and he's the one calling it jungle music and shit like that.
0: And obviously, like, you you have Ossie Davis as an alcoholic just kind of roaming the streets, (laughs) bugging out with, like, I understand what his argument
1: is, but, like, the extent... he's wrong. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I get it it's a black neighbourhood, all of his customers are black, but, like, it's not like the guy's got fucking Clint Eastwood up on the walls. It's Italian people, and he's Italian. I don't think it's actually an unreasonable thing.
0: No, and, but the thing is, it's just, it, it extends so bad, and obviously, yeah. and again, it's down to the thing of, like, Radio Rahim, where it's just like, dude, you, you can turn it off. Yeah. Sometimes. Like, he's got when- he
1: such a weird, and, like, it, it's, it's really unclear how the other people in the neighbourhood feel about him. Like, when they're it's fucking what... around with the, with the fire. Adrian, they all stop when he's walking past. They're like, don't well be- don't piss off Radio Rahim. He's like don't nine be- feet
0: tall. Well, I mean, the thing is, like, you could you could make an argument that if this movie was made kind of like twenty years later, are they going to explicitly code them as like neurodivergent? And it's mm. just like this is the way that they kind of like drown out like yeah. intrusive thoughts is to go around just blasting their music. I mean, Bill Nunn is really fun in this movie. It's very funny that he is. Robbie Robertson in the Sam Raimi Spider-Man movies.
1: And those are his like highest IMDB credits. It's like, <laughs> how is IMDB coded for fuck's sake? Genuinely think the way that IMDB code is
0: is like if someone clicks on this performance, mm-hmm. then you become known for that performance. So like well, if you look at if you look up an actor and that is the movie that is like linked out to
1: most I then assume it's like the most reviews rather than like, it doesn't even have to be positive ones, I think it's just no, the most intense. Because intang- cause we used was- to play this game in the pub like, I mean, you know, wild times but like, name an actor and guess their top four, and like, it's really hard cause
0: you- I can't remember if we did it with Florence Pugh, or like, because obviously Yeah, we did, mo- I
1: remember, and, I got, and like, I got one out of four, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, but obviously Florence Pugh has changed now, like, Florence Pugh has mm-hmm. now got an actual working IMDb top four, her top four is now... The- midsummer fighting changed-
1: with my my family Maybe Black Widow doesn't creep in. A little no, it's would still be the logical thing. Fucking, oh, okay. fucking hell, it's the falling Marcella, Lady Macbeth and the commuter.
0: <laughs> what the shit you I don't know. I don't she's know. She's been in multiple Marvel movies. I she know. was in Don't Worry Darling, I the know. most memetic movie of
1: twenty twenty two. Is it all a bit? Is this the movie?
0: No, I, I genuinely think the way that it works is that, like, people look up Florence Pugh, or they click to Florence Pugh from, like, they're watching Black Widow, they click right. on Florence Pugh's name, and then oh, okay. they go, like, oh, I've heard of Don't Worry Darling, I've heard of Hawkeye, I've heard of... That's not how others. it should work. And then I, I've not heard of Outlaw King, click. That's
1: not how it should
0: work. I genuinely think that's how it. Because how I it think
1: is. I think one of Tom Hanks's is Toy Story, and that's not, like, a fucking niche movie, is it? <laughs> no, but, like, you
0: have to imagine, over time, people have, like, started clicking on that and are no. uh, now intrigued what Tom Hanks's top four are. We will do Spike Lee's after this, just to okay. kind of, like, do his known four. So Tom Hanks' are Castaway, Big, Forrest Gump, Saving Private Ryan.
1: Ridiculous. Maybe it was Tim Allen that's got, like... Th- I think it's like three Toy Stories and then something else. I can't remember. I think I
0: think his should just be three Santa Claus movies. <laughs> and then like Toy Story Four. Home
1: improvement. <laughs> oh okay. Okay.
0: Yeah. Spike Lee, what are his four?
1: She's gotta have it. Yes. Twenty fifth hour? No. Uh Do the Right Thing? Yes. Black Landsman? No. Uh. Inside Man? No. <laughs> NBA two K like seventeen or whatever it was? No, because uh, no one clicks on games on IMDb. Oh they should. And poor Andy Serkis is of to be cut in
0: half. We have mentioned both of these movies over um, the course of recording this podcast. Malcolm X, yes,
1: and
0: The Five Bloods, of course. Okay, it's a Netflix movie. Everyone wants it. On oh, list.
1: that is what. They've... Also, when is it? She's got to have it. The movie or she's gonna... it is the movie. It is the okay. movie. It is not the TV show. Okay,
0: um, but yeah, I I do think this movie is obviously everyone is kind of prickly, and Radio yeah. Harris is probably like the emblematic one of this because you can't even say. I think there is. A quote from someone involved in the movie where it's like the only arguments that Reddy or Rahim gets into are with other minorities in mm-hmm. the neighborhood. Like, cuz obviously like he gets in the argument when he runs out of batteries with the the owners of the of the bodega.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: he's like, "Give me all your batteries." And... and then
1: when the guy shouts back at him, he's like, "You're all right." <laughs> in fact, that's how he wins over all of the people in the neighborhood by just being straight up like aggressive to them.
0: Yes. And obviously like there's the Latino people who mm-hmm they have the the battle of the boomboxes and I'm like, you can turn it down when you walk past them. They are in a stationary location listening (laughs) to their music. You are
1: wandering around. People that walk with music playing out loud are the worst people. I'm
0: sorry. Uh, We have someone who, I don't hear that often now we're on the other side of the building but it used to be like once a month someone would like get the bus at like 5 o'clock in the morning Uh on the opposite side of the road from us and they would bring their huge fuck off speaker and play. Speaker in the
1: backpack kind of thing. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, and just play music. Like really loud music, Mm. and like the really annoying thing is, is they would like skip the same bus like twice. What? Yeah, so they wouldn't get the first bus that arrived. They would wait for like two more, and it was just like, are you?
1: Why don't you just leave later? What? What's happened? The worst people. Yeah, but I, I, I think that all plays a part. Is. They're all prickly, so they're all on the verge, and they're all arguing, and they're all on the verge. You know, the Radio Rahim police brutality is the inciting incident, but like, I don't think if this is a peaceful neighbourhood where everyone's just having a nice, fun time and everyone's good, suddenly erupts into violence when this happens, is my read on it. But. No,
0: and obviously, this movie makes a point of, throughout the course of the movie, they make a point that like the only racism in this movie is not just white on black racism. I get the feeling that you think it's like heavy handed and not very well done, but obviously, they're there is the scene in this movie where they do the very classical like spikely zoom in on someone's face yeah. as literally they um
1: start to really mealy monologues and yeah I, it's all bit, racial epithets yeah that bit i'm fine with because like that shows it's a cycle and like the black guy is racist to the italian guy the italian guy is racist to the black guy the korean guy is racist to the jewish people like the, the hispanic guy's Racist to somebody else. Um, well, so,
0: so, so it is Mookie against the Italians, Pino against African-Americans, Latino Stevie against Koreans, the the white police officer against Puerto Ricans, and the um. Korean Storm owner, Sonny, against Jewish yeah. people. and like, um, that
1: that to me makes... I think that's a poignant thing to say, because that is almost like, hey, look, everyone's doing this, none of this is okay. For me, it's the kind of way that the racism against the Korean people has played for laughs. That's what I'm talking about is, like, you. I think you do see this in a lot of black media is, like, oh, it's just harmless fun when you're racist to Asian people. And I think that happens a bit in the UK as well. I think, I hope, most, like, kids and teenagers know it's not okay to be racist towards black people, but, like, it's apps like, Asian people are just fair game. And I think that kind of fucking sucks.
0: <laughs> I think there is <laughs> levels of class built into it. And obviously, like, a big thing with a lot of... Uh, asian immigrants is that the stereotype for them is that they tend to be like either they tend to be quite wealthy and they tend to come over for educational reasons yes um like like the first time an awful lot of people in the uk at least will meet a large contingent of asian people will be in higher education Mm -hmm. because they are paying a a stupid amount of money to come get a quote-unquote better education in the uk
1: Mm -hmm. Um, absolutely educate yourself in your own country you're all very good Uh, everything or anything
0: at least i should say that is like southeast asians yes more like in particular because obviously the uk does have a thriving indian pakistani Mm -hmm. like thriving culture like the the amount of places where i grew up in which there were an awful lot of people of that ethnicity is Mm -hmm. is staggering and again yeah the casual racism against those people is
1: huge yeah that i think yeah it's it's a similar thing in this country with South Asian people, for sure. Um, I just think that's less of a thing in America. Yeah,
0: but I I do think it is like, again, the stereotype is that they tend to... Not that this doesn't happen. Like, I, not that this doesn't happen with African Americans and stuff like that. But I do think there is a stereotype of well, Asian immigrants—they come over and get jobs. They come over and kind of like they get down and do the work, and they're con- mm-hmm. contributive members to society. And <laughs> and this movie gets at that a little bit. Like when you yeah. have like, oh, they've probably been off the boat for a week. Yes. And, and, like, they've immediately set up shop and, like, wh- where's my shop? Where's my business? That and shop the... was just closed
1: before they came. It's like, yeah, but do you not see what you're saying there? <laughs>
0: like... And I think this movie is getting at those kind of things, where it's, like, it is taking the the negative stereotypes of black people, the negative stereotypes of Asian people, and obviously it is putting a massive fucking lampshade on them. Spike Lee as a African-American is going to be blindsided to racism that does not affect him. He is writing this movie of like a very particular kind of prejudice that is set that is sent against him, and of course he's going to be clumsy. But I'm going to give him a pass because he is like ultimately he is getting at like again th- this violence, this racism is all cyclical. Like the fact that this movie ends with the riot starting to bleed out and going to target an Asian-run store, and and it be I and mean, then people are going go, like, whoa, we need to cool down because like these people have literally done. That nothing the pizza shop was fair game that was run by thinly veiled racists who yeah fuck south shop
1: like i I know he gives his whole speech about how i built this all with my own hands but you know but like also you start a fire in a building what happens to the building next to it you know, and trying to fight off, like, the fucking fire department. Like, you know, fight cops all you want, but, like, I think the fire department should be allowed to put out fires, personally. <laughs> I'm getting a lot of, like, pro-firefighter
0: TikToks at the moment. Uh, including I think, one I that
1: think was... I'm sure there are some problematic people in the firefighting community, oh, I'm but sure. in general, think, like, like, they...
0: I do think that the, the lack of ability to go out and just kind of, like, beat someone up as a firefighter <laughs> definitely precludes the kind of, like, the bad... People who sign up to be police officers. Yeah. One of the TikToks I saw was just this person saying that, like, they were like walking through town and they found like an eighty-year-old couple who had like an all cops are bastards like bumper <laughs> sticker or something like that. And like the, another guy had like a, a firefighter sticker, and these two like eighty-year-old people were just like, "Oh, my husband used to be in the firefighters," and he's just like, "Fuck cops, right?" Yeah. <laughs> it was just like. Well, I
1: think okay. I think you see this thing where like there are a remarkable number of cops who seem to have not considered that it's a dangerous job and seem almost offended when danger comes to their door. Whereas, like, I think firefighters are good with the fact that, like, yeah, you're gonna walk into fires.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. When you start to be a firefighter, you are signing up to explicitly, like, put yourself at risk of dying.
1: Yeah. And I think there are a lot of co-ops who don't seem to think that they have also signed up for this. No, because there's
0: there's protections in place, and you get a gun, and guns stop almost all violence that can be doled out against you. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But oh, yeah, I I do think this is a movie that is thinking about the cycles of violence and the cycles of racism that yeah. exist in society. Even if I do agree that in, like, some regards it's definitely not coming at them in, like, a nuanced way.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying I feel this way, but like I, I have seen people say that, like, this movie is kind of just pointing at something and offering no insight or like no new ideas it's just kind of like hey look this is bad and I'm I'm not sure I quite agree with that but like I get it But I think that that is something I've also
0: seen levied against Armageddon Time which is the new James Gray movie that came out this year which is a friend of mine put it to me that basically like a lot of millennials he knows who's seen it really love it and a lot of gen z people fucking hate it and that is a movie which is entirely about it's centered on a jewish family and the kid of this jewish family befriends a black kid and that black kid ends up like smoking weed with him and he gets sent off to a private school and everyone's just like why the fuck is this not about the black kid why is this like trying to be about racism but ends up with this kind of like weird kind of like hand wavy thing that like racism happens and I don't think it is about that. I think it's about the ways in which we let racism kind of fester. And I don't think it's bad for a movie to point out that something exists or not have a fix for it, because no, we sure. don't we don't have fixes for it in our society. If we had fixes for racism, we would have fixed racism.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And also, and like, like we, filmmakers are not, like, fucking world leaders kind of thing. Like, I'm not asking Spike Lee to solve racism. I just... I do kind of understand... As I say, I don't fully agree, but I do kind of get where some people are coming from, where he's just kind of been like, yeah, this is fucked, right? Yeah, the thing is, I I do think it can get
0: frustrating, particularly Mm. uh, particularly if you do live in these places and have a deeper, more nuanced, more emotional consideration for the things that are going on. Because it's like, when you watch a movie like this, and you live in an environment where this violence is happening on a daily basis... yeah. You might not feel like, oh well, that's my life. i have seen my life on screen. You might go mm. like, well, no shit. What point are you trying to make? Like yeah. anyone who lives in my shoes right now could make this. You've done nothing. You've said nothing. And I think it gets down to like, who is art for? Is mm. is this? And I think it's very obvious that this movie is made as a a kind of scream into the void.
1: Yeah, absolutely. More um, so than a constructive
0: thing. And I and again, like you you've said that like this movie doesn't solve anything. This movie doesn't. I don't think this movie proposes to solve anything. But if you do live in these places and you are experiencing racial violence on a daily basis, watching this movie must be frustrating because it isn't offering anything. It's just showing a mirror to your world and maybe not in a way that you think is nuanced or intelligent or grappling with like the actual systemic reasons for it. And I mean
1: I think I think the part where I disagree with not you um with the opinion i'm sort of like secondhand voicing is i think that those feelings are tied up in an idea of like well they haven't solved anything by rioting which i don't agree with <laughs>
0: um, well i mean the thing that is solved in this movie with rioting is that only one person dies yes the do the right thing at the core of this movie i mean obviously like you can you can really kind of like strip it back and say the do the right thing is mookie throwing the bin into the the pizzeria mm-hmm. because that riot is going to go off in a way that is going to
1: end up with three dead italian men yeah, and potentially you, like, you, a lot of people kind of like i think being... i think the popular read is he saved sal's life even if sal revealed himself as a horrible racist in this in this time there is still some form of understanding between those two. And I think the original script, their final conversation is, like, even more friendly than it is, and and Spike Lee rewrote it on a suggestion, but, like... Because
0: you have this movie... Which is obviously like simmering and simmering and simmering, and in a way that isn't obvious that it's simmering. It is just kind of like these these moments of shouting or or whatever, and like maybe some like quick respites. Like you have the scene with them turning on the fire hydrant yeah. and having fun for a bit, and we're gonna get to the sex scene, don't you worry. But like Thank the you. ice cubes, in, <laughs> the ice cubes in the sex scene, yeah. obviously like a respite in this hot day, mm-hmm. and then when the violence erupts. You have, and I think this is where a lot of people have said that, like, they don't think that Mookie did the right thing. It's like, well, he's destroyed public property. Like,
1: <laughs> how, could he, how could he do that? Oh, no. how could... that's worse and, than know... Batman being murdered by the police. And, 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 again, that that is <laughs> that's that's that actually is... how a lot of people
0: feel. That's what happened yeah, like, like that, two that's... years ago. Yes, exactly. Like all the people wringing their hands because people were putting fucking statues in rivers and yeah. and all the rest. Like, oh my god, like... you
1: broke a Walmart window. How will Walmart ever recover from this? <laughs> And also and then shown. later turned out that like half of the vandalism against buildings was done by like plants and crops and stuff
0: and I think that is the core thing, which is that like, there are genuinely people out there who will watch this movie and live in and live in the world that we live in mm. that genuinely see private property and as mattering more than people's lives. Well,
1: that's America, isn't it?
0: Even in this Th- case,
1: that's that's it, that's, that's, that's what the they UK. were sold. where like, every man will have his own. I know it happens in the UK as well. We talk about it on a semi-regular <laughs> basis, but like that is what they were they were sold. Every man will have a castle, kind of thing.
0: I mean, it, I mean, it's it, it's genuinely terrifying in the UK. Like the idea that like now people are being arrested for for protesting in the UK is. Yeah. Genuinely horrifying. I do still find it funny that they they set up the the statue of Margaret Thatcher and, like, on the first day they opened it, someone was like, I just bought a top pack of eggs and just, like, went to go see the fucking statue.
1: Long may she burn. Um...
0: (laughs) But, yeah, like, the fact that this movie is, and it it isn't even, like, the main focal point of the movie, the debate between inanimate objects and human lives, is just a thing that happens and obviously became a talking point and, and something that Spike Lee had had to bring up repeatedly after this movie
1: yes does i think he said that only white people are like debate whether he did the right thing <laughs> but the, the fact that like
0: again that is still a debate we're having 30 years later <laughs> is kind of fucking horrifying um yeah. Shall we? Shall we discuss the, the the treatment of Rosie Perez in this movie and then the, yeah, the unfortunate I mean, stuff behind the scene? Because like we haven't discussed the movie much, I will probably ask you for kind of like any particular characters that you like in a minute. <laughs> but I do think this movie is it is a movie that inspires more questions about kind of like the dynamicness or the the, the way the structure and the way that it kind of like simmers and simmers and simmers as it goes on, and then the the very pertinent political questions that it, it starts to ask. But yeah, on the flip side, Rosie Perez. <laughs> Plays Mookie's kind of baby on mama. again, yeah, on again, <laughs> off again, baby mama. They don't live together. It's very obvious that like they're probably both sleeping with other people mm, at probably, the same time. That yeah. They're doing this and all the rest of it, and they she bugger. makes a point
1: of how she doesn't see him for a week um, whenever they have sex. Like, I th- I think it's like, eh, hey, we like fucking each other, but like he doesn't see them having a child as like a thing he has, you know, he doesn't have to commit to her because of this.
0: And and he throws off having a kid every so often, like when he tries to get Sal to pay him early, he's like I've got a kid! And it's like (laughs) this is the first time you've mentioned the kid. He tries
1: to talk the talk he's like, oh yeah, my son and like, you know, he goes on about how much he cares about his son and you know, I don't want my son... I want my son speaking English. It's bad enough he's called Hector, which is, you know, there's that. And, like, she obviously gives it back and, like, she labels him as black in a way that is not that gentle.
0: I think the very fact that, like, when he goes around to see Mm -hmm. Tina and, like, he sees his son briefly, but then the son's immediately put in the kitchen with the grandmother so they can go fuck in another room.
1: That's so funny that he takes a break from his foreplay to go and collect ice and, like, his fucking child and not mother-in-law, but, you know, are just there, and he's like, hey, what's up? Okay, bye, we're gonna go fuck
0: Yeah, I've got this ice Come watch me, like spread it all over your daughter. <laughs> yeah, and and obviously the the quote that come out a long time after this movie is that Rosie Perez did not sign up to do nudity in this movie.
1: Was crying.
0: Yeah, like the scene where you see her breasts, it is she's crying off screen because he, Spike Lee has, like, talked
1: her into doing this. This is why we, don't we have, have been... intimacy consultants at this point. Exactly.
0: Like, intimacy consultants should be a, a, a standard in this. No one should be doing nudity if they don't want to. Spike Lee, get your dick out if you're going to yeah, ask yeah, yeah. <laughs> people to do this. It's really gross, and again, and it does get to a misogyny at the core of this movie that this movie is not willing to, to examine.
1: I think. Anybody being made to do something they don't want to do, it doesn't have to be nudity, you know, just doing a stunt someone isn't comfortable doing or, or reading a line they're not comfortable doing, you know, anything like that is unfortunate and and bad and all that. But, like, I don't think it's just the behind the scenes. I think the portrayal of the women, I think this is very much, like, boy, women are annoying kind of thing. And, like, you know, the character is written to just kind of browbeat him and everything and I, just, I it just irks me and like you know she's got a habit the handling of sexual assault in that movie and and
0: yeah I mean I was I was listening to Blank Check's episode on Nightmare Before Elm Street which is obviously Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas yes. and Tim Burton is well known as a director who is not very good with women nope to put it bluntly, and obviously Nightmare Before Christmas is rewritten by Caroline Thompson, and you can tell in like the oeuvre of Tim Burton that like, that does an awful lot to make Sally a more fleshed-out character, and that is missing from this, where like you could tell if you gave this script to a woman just for a, a rewrite focused on the female characters, Tina probably gets fleshed out and probably actually gets some agency mm. in this movie, other than being, as you say, like the paper-thin baby mama who is there for a quick fuck in the middle of his work day spike lee is someone who is a problem that's recurrent in yes. an awful lot of his stuff i'm not saying that like every director has to be good at writing women and at least for the most part i think he has realized what his weaknesses are and yeah. he does tend to do projects that that don't center on women an awful lot like *The Five bloods obviously has no central female characters in it And I'd also—it's probably the weakness of Black Klansmen—is—is the female characters in Black Clansmen.
1: Yeah, but it's like I would rather an absence than a negative portrayal, because, I mean, you know, there is an argument of, like, write what you know, and if you aren't comfortable writing women, don't write women, and, like, I'm not saying every movie must have, written by a man, must have a female co-writer, but, like, you should probably have women in your life that you show scripts to, and are like, hey, can you give this a once-over, and, like, you know, maybe that is, like, putting the burden of, like, can you speak for all women, in the way that, you know, sometimes black people are asked to speak for all black people, but, it is tricky, but, like, and he's, he's like, disavowed, you know, some of his earlier things he's written from that perspective. And I gather the new She's Gotta Have It is a lot more, like, feminist. <laughs> but, yeah, it, it's just unfortunate, I think. And, like, I'm not saying there are, like, no positive female characters in the movie because, like, Mother Sister is presented as, like, a matriarch of the street kind of thing. Yeah, it's her
0: primal screaming at the end that is kind yeah. of, like, the, the end of the end of the riot, almost. Yeah. Her watching the burning of the this pizza restaurant
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. But then like you've got like Ella is just like the one that in the in the group Martin Lawrence's group kind of thing. I don't know. They kind of just like <laughs> talk shit to her a lot and I don't know. I I just wish that Rosie Perez's character was a little bit more three dimensional.
0: She's and... like she really isn't seen outside of the house either, no. for the most part. Like, and I think that is a shame because, like, again, when you open the movie with her doing the dance moves, you you kind yeah. of expect her to be more <laughs> of an ongoing presence. This is instead... his
1: ingenue. This is his like I'm putting Rosie Perez on the map kind of thing. And then it's like, no, I just got to dance. And then I like made her do sex scenes she didn't want to do. She's good in the like the the bits. Like, I I like how they shoot her standing on the bed and, like, dropping her underwear, but, like, you're just seeing, like, her from the knee down kind of thing. I think that is well handled, and, like, I think she is good at, like, you know, laughing with him when he's, like, making fun of her forehead and stuff like that.
0: There is no reason why the the shot of her... Her breast needs to be in the movie because you've got the point from all the other clips of him rubbing the ice cube all over her. Yeah, like it is just that step too far that almost feels like this is the point of view of someone who I just want to see some tits. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, And I mean, and the fact that like, why does why does Mookie have more scenes with Vito (laughs) than with Tina?
1: His bud, yeah. Um, Is Vito a racist? He he has no personality. No. I guess silence is violence, but like, you know, Pino is like hardcore racist. Yeah. He's he's saying... John Turturro is the one who kind of
0: understands what the assignment is. and He's the one doing (laughs) the full-on cartoonish
1: kind of thing. Yeah, he is a fucking monster. And then Sal is like, Sal is like telling him off, and is like I've never had no problem with these people, and like you know he's making apologies for his son, and like giving money to people, and you know he tips the and he he gives Smiley some money, and and all this, and then it's like boom, <laughs> at the end, and like you know it seems like he has sort of taken a shine to Mookie, and like you know it maybe gets into that you know one of the good ones type thing, but then he has he seems to be sweet on his sister jade who is a very bad actress (laughs) and like that really bothers mookie and he's like yeah don't come in here anymore kind of thing who's your favorite of the
0: kind of like random people on the street like what what is there anyone that kind of like sticks out to you obviously you don't think anyone's giving like an oscar worthy (laughs) performance but are there any like of these personalities that you enjoy more than the others
1: I do like that that quartet are reading Black Panther comics in the '80s. You know, <laughs> like way before the movie makes them popular. I really do. I I really like Samuel L. Jackson's like mile a minute dialogue. Like, I know he's not visible that often. Yet. No,
0: he is. He is good fun. I do really like the kind of the three guys just sat against the wall. Mm. And, and there's and a they're...
1: weird thing going on there with is it ML who is kind of like he's talking about black people like he isn't one. Yes. And I think it's, I assume it is a, like, where do you originate kind of thing. <laughs> it it
0: may be getting to, like, that internalised racism that you can have <laughs> yeah. from, like, some yeah. people. We haven't mentioned it yet that Giancarlo Esposito is playing Bugging Out. Yes. Um, so weird to see him playing so young. I
1: know.
0: Uh, the start of an illustrious career of no one really knowing his ethnicity. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, that is an Italian-ass name. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Yeah, he is born in Denmark, the son of an Italian stagehand in in Naples, and and his mother was an African-American opera nightclub singer, who of course went on to play a Spanish drug lord, Gustavo Fring.
1: Very straight, just his good friend who got murdered and sent him on a 10-year revenge plot. He's just real sad about his friend dying. There's no gay people in Breaking Bad, obviously. Nope, It's a ridiculous thing that some people think. And also known for kind of just signing up for any old bullshit that's going these days.
0: <laughs> I mean the fact that I think he was a, a series regular on like 3 TV shows at the same yeah. time. Obviously all of them or like none of them were running kind of like simultaneously, but it was like he was he had like The Mandalorian, The Boys, Better Call Saul would like show up for like Westworld and Community. God, he's in so much I'm just like looking at this he's in so
1: many TV shows. Isn't that Bad Far Cry game? He um, was not a bad Far Cry game. Line of Duty? Is there an American line of... Oh, I guess it's of absolutely no relation. Imagine if it was a remake I of... know, I know. But yeah, he shows up everywhere. He'll do some voice acting. He has played Rachel Ghoul more than once. I, I mean, know.
0: obviously Breaking Bad is the thing that kind of, like, puts him into Superstar. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, he, yeah. like he he's in this movie, and then after that he's kind of doing fun character roles, and then Breaking Bad makes him like, oh, we can get him to get a certain level of, like, gravitas to our villain.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Far Cry fucking, just the most listless bullshit.
0: So um, funny that Michael Mando is the villain in one
1: of those. I know, and he fucking rules. He does. <laughs> he ruined Michael the Michael Mando's really good in in Better Call Saul as well. Okay. He ruined that game for them though, because like they clearly had no intention of him being like the main villain, and then he was so good and memetic They're like, Well, he's got to be on the cover he's in, be a in fucking, all the in trailers, a
0: fucking, in a fucking trailer, wasn't it? Like they showed
1: him in the trailer and then was like, The trailer um... is just him monologuing at the camera for like five minutes, <laughs> and yep. then he just dies like halfway through and he's nothing, <laughs> anyway. Yes, Giancarlo, very good as bugging out, like. You know hit the ongoing thing of people wanting extra cheese and it costs two fucking dollars <laughs> ridiculous and like you know he he's grouchy about that he he kicks up a fuss about you no know, black people on the on the wall of fame he's thrown out it just gets worse from you know his shoes his get scuffed and he's He wants everyone to boycott
0: Sal's. He is is the one who's just, like, simmering with rage all day, picking up people who are, like, for very legitimate reasons, just kind of, like, cussed out by Sal. Because, again, like, the three he picks up are Radio Raheem, who is, like, mad that he can't play his radio inside. Yeah,
1: which, come on, no reasonable human being thinks they should be able to walk into a restaurant and play a fucking boombox at max volume.
0: (laughs) And then, obviously, a character who we have not mentioned, and Mm. I don't think either of us...
1: What do you um, think of Smiley, Ben?
0: <laughs> boy, a performance that I don't think would go anywhere if it was done nowadays by yes. a friend of the director.
1: who's mm-hmm. like, yeah, please let me be in your movie. I'll make up my own character. This is what I've got. And then, despite Lee just go, well, you've committed embarrassingly hard, so <laughs> I guess you have to do it now. Who and gets? as you say, gets the button in the fucking movie, which feels really odd. I mean, he, he's selling pictures of... Martin. he's selling
0: pictures of Malcolm X and Martin Luther King that he's like
1: drawn on a bit
0: yes he's he, he feels like again it is it is obviously something that like I have to imagine that Spike Lee or Roger Guenever Smith is like knows someone know. who did this like they they obviously have seen this obviously like we've all seen like street preachers and (laughs) this is obviously this but like through like to the side essentially like what if that person who's been completely let down by the state and isn't get like isn't getting the care that they need to get is just allowed to to wander around and and again it probably is that thing where like smiley's Yeah. So why would he be taken to somewhere that could actually take proper care of him because he isn't actually hurting anyone? Mm-hmm. Those are only for like violent offenders and whatnot. I mean, I can't even remember what it is that Sal does that manages to annoy Smiley, because obviously there is the scene where, like...
1: or well, Pino, like...
0: Is, is, it, is it Pino, like, shouting at him through the window where, like, Smiley is there, like, trying to get them to, to buy yeah. the buy the photos? And so Sal's then just, Sal like, goes outside and,
1: like, work. wants to give him money and stuff, so... I, but I, I think don't. Smiley's
0: been so pissed off by Pino telling him to, like, fuck off
1: that he's, yeah. like, like, just completely done. Because everybody else, like, just is jovial to... You know, they're clearly a little bit annoyed by him, but they're, like... Friendly and cordial, kind of thing. But it yeah.
0: really is like the three most annoying people in the street have like teamed up <laughs> yeah. by the end of this
1: movie. We can be thrice as annoying, and it, it all explodes in this very charged argument that becomes a fight. He smashes his boombox with a baseball bat and then they start brawling and you know, these cops have been in it throughout the movie, we haven't even fucking talked about them, but the two racist cops. Well, one of them very racist, the other just quite racist. Um, <laughs> but again, who like keep covering for each other in the yeah. scene
0: where like once they've killed
1: Reddy Rahim, and yeah, they're just like, th-
0: you're not dead, you're not dead. And yeah, then, you like, you kind of think
1: one her. of them is going to be like I guess Miguel Sandoval, I guess, is the, is the one where you think he's going to dude, what did you do? But then he's the one that fucking kicks him and is like, no, you're not dead, stop faking. Because Rick Aiello, who I assume is Danny Aiello's son, mm-hmm. is the, like, hardcore racist one who, yeah, just chokes him to death. I, very weird touch that they take, they <laughs> steal his body and drive away, I guess, dump it somewhere and, and you know, absolve themselves. Yeah, the neighbourhood is just like, whoa, what the fuck? I like the convenience store owner. Even he is like, whoa. Like and he's like they're all like banging on the car as it's driving away kind of thing. And then yeah, bin through the window. <laughs> and, and a massive, you know, tear the shop apart, set fire to it. They task this gentleman with saying, I'm black too, we're the same. I get what he's going for. <laughs> but Yes. Because like there was a thing Mike and
0: the Gita from Fargo.
1: Oh really? Okay. Yes. <laughs> There is a thing where Irish people will occasionally claim they were treated as badly or worse than black people at at a time in history. Yeah, there was a time
0: where it was, like, the social pecking ordeal was white people, Italians, then the then the Irish. They were the bomb of the
1: barrel, ignoring yes. the fact that black people were in the country at this time and were slaves. Yes, and you have lines of dialogue in mainstream media, such as Line of Duty, where he says, No one's blacker than me, son, because he was in northern ireland during the troubles it's like "Mm, probably shouldn't say that it is interesting this movie
0: has no irish representation yeah
1: you would think that would be there too because yeah i mean that is uh, the pecking order Uh, a very key
0: component to to (laughs) racial dialogue in new york is the irish
1: Mm -hmm. peoples listen to our hit episode on uh martin scorsese's the departed um Anyway, yeah, and as you say, like they're like it does seem for a hot minute they're gonna smash his store, and someone even says now his store kind of thing, and then well, because obviously, yeah, it is
0: it's Frankie Faison's character who's just kind of like who's been ranting all day about like I could own this shop, and then it ends with them being talked out of it, and then yeah, and then the movie kind of like it it's the next day, Mookie wants to get paid by Sal. And yeah, it is it, very charged conversation.
1: He wants to go get his money.
0: He wants to go get his money, and that's the thing. It's like and and Sal's pissed off, and he throws five hundred dollars at him, and then <laughs> Luke, he's just like, I owe you two. I owe you fifty dollars. Well, he's like, my Let's salary
1: take- is two fifty, so he throws two back at him. and goes, I owe you fifty. He's not going to shortchange himself. He's not going to be like, you owe me. But doesn't 50. he pick
0: up the other two as well at the end? So he does make off with the five hundred by the end. Uh, of the I thought they just were left laying in the street. Maybe they but... are. Maybe they're just left on the street. But yeah, it is just one of those. It's a weird ending. My partner said that she would have rather it ended with the the picture being put up by yeah. by Smiley. But, like, I do think you do need to kind of close off the Mookie Sal relationship at the end of this movie. But, yeah, it leaves things sufficiently kind of, like, closed but still, like, simmering. Like, they, they, they haven't solved any of the problems. This is just, like, it bubbled over for a night.
1: No, but and how about that weather, huh?'
0: Still hot, as Sam Jack reminds us as we as we yes. like go down go down the street.
1: I like the two ending it with a quote by Malcolm and a quote by martin and they they're like good quotes, they're like deep cut quotes, and like I think Malcolm X is one of the most smeared people in the history of famous people if you want to call it that historical yeah. figures is, is is probably a less <laughs> condescending thing to call them I mean,
0: there's a reason why Spike Lee makes a movie about him there's a reason why the the professor x magneto are uh, us are uh, uh, malcolm x and martin luther king yeah. is like one of the most regressive things you could possibly say of about course. like the damage between those two characters
1: the second anyone trots that opinion out i'm like okay whatever but like even in school over here, you're, you're taught, right, Martin Luther King was the good one that played ball and Malcolm X was a dangerous, violent, degenerate kind of thing who wanted a separate nation and wanted to kill all the white people. And it's like, not quite. You know, you see this extended, very articulate quote about how he's like, I'm not condoning violence, however, defend yourself. Violence is a tool. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, it's reduced to like, hey, go beat up white people, go kill white people kind of thing. It's like, no. Because that's, and that's like, I think he was seen as the dangerous one.
0: I think that's the thing. There's all kinds of nuance to this. And obviously, I mean, I was, again, listening to the the, the Blank Trek episode on their their Patreon with Black Panther talking, Black Panther with Jamal Bowie, and he was talking about, like, the reasons why Killmonger is,
1: Mm.
0: he's correct, but the thing is that the ways in which he is going about being correct is to use the tools of oppression that were given to him by white oppressors obviously he's taken it too far as well but it is very much is like his his starting point is like well i've learned how to kill i've learned how to destabilize a country through the cia let's yeah. do that again
1: there's leveling the playing field and then there's like I want to do my own genocide. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He using the Master's tools to dismantle the
0: Master's house and, yeah, yeah, and
1: whatnot, yeah, yeah. which is which is never a good thing. No. And like that is the t- you know, the the meaning of those two quotes at the end is is a pouring violence and saying, you know, the Martin Luther King one in particular is like, you know, violence is a monologue not a dialogue. And I think for those who think that it is you know, the pearl clutchers who are like worried this movie's gonna make people become violent, I think, you know, ending it on two quotes that are definitively, like, Violence is not necessarily the answer, kind of thing, but it's also like an unavoidable fact of life. So I think that's you know I'm not I'm not against the politics of the movie. Again, just to say that after an hour, no, or yours so.
0: yours your point of view is all coming from kind of like structure and yeah. and, and and whatnot, as opposed to yeah. being being annoyed by the messaging or anything like no, that. No. It really <laughs> is just like it, this is not a film made in a way that you derive enjoyment in the same way that you do from
1: from other yeah. things. I it it for me it's like it's like a it's a polite three and a half star kind of movie. Okay. Um three feels rude, you know? <laughs> Not a gentleman's six. <laughs> Not a gentleman's six, no. Three and a half 'cause I recognise it's important, but it can't be a four or higher if I don't like truly love something about okay. it. Is my thing. if far I love enough. it but it's flawed it's like 4 to 4.5 if I just unapologetically love it it's 5 that's my personal <laughs> Scare Fair enough.
0: <laughs> it was very funny. I watched Night of the Hunter the other night to then watch this movie where I uh, Reggie Rahim is obviously doing the love hate speech with the wait, love's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I, it's one of those things where like I hadn't seen Night of the Hunter in in God knows how long, mm-hmm. so it is uh, one of those things to go like, oh, Spike Lee is referencing this old 1950s movie about a uh, a preacher trying to murder a wife for money or whatever. Very interesting. I mean, it's always funny when you realise that like all of these fucking directors are fucking nerds. And they're all referencing kind of, like, the same canon or whatever. Even Spike Lee, who was kind of, like, fighting against these things and probably very likely taking the piss out of this stuff. Apparently it was Barack Obama and Michelle Obama's first date film. I know.
1: That's very adorable.
0: (laughs) I will say, if you want to find out more about the time period where Barack Obama was in school, I would recommend watching the documentary Legends of Tomorrow in which he fights Gorilla (laughs) (laughs) Grodd.
1: Jesus, fuck.
0: The greatest thing that the DC, or not even the EU, the DC or the Arrowverse has given us, is Gorilla Grod walking into Barack Obama's dawn room and saying, I've come to kill you. <laughs> Chef's kiss, beautiful, perfect television show. And that is our episode on Do The Right Thing. <laughs>
1: I couldn't imagine it ending a different way.
0: <laughs> I know. I mean, I had to get it in there somewhere. Thank you, Matthew. This has been our final regular episode of the podcast. At least until we get bored in a few years' time and decide to do the 1970s or whatever. Because there is a spreadsheet. There, there is a exists. list. It exists.
1: It goes back further than... <laughs> It should. I don't want to sign up for that many years of podcasts. No,
0: I think we're done with big boy movies after next
1: week. Yeah, uh, well, the basketball pod is gonna be really exciting. This is true, the
0: basketball pod is coming up. We've now, like, wetted our whistle with animation, so, like, who knows where mm-hmm. that goes. We will be back early next year to discuss Marvel. We, there will be a Marvel podcast with us on, on the network around about when this episode is posting.
1: Yes, is- asterisk. <laughs>
0: But, like, we're crossing over with Superhero Pantheon to discuss that. But most importantly, mm-hmm. the big revelation that we've been teasing and cutting from episodes all season. <laughs> on, Twice. Yes. Um, <laughs> it was supposed to happen. I mean, well, let's do the full rundown. When was it supposed to happen?
1: It was supposed to happen originally with Breakfast Club. Breakfast Club. Which you had never seen and uh, I- is. Myself and your partner like a whole lot. Yep. And then Back to the Future was raised. Yeah, I think basically we couldn't like scheduling meant couldn't do. I was trying to buy long.
0: a house for a very long period of time. Yeah, I
1: think some of it was me though.
0: Some of it was you. I think that one was
1: definitely like I might be closing on a house very soon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ah, and then um, and then yeah, Die Back Hard to the Future just... and Die Hard was a possibility. Yeah, but then it's like well if it's the last one for a very long time, we should probably record episode one hundred in person.
0: Yes. So, uh, the fact that we live an hour apart from each other. There was a pandemic that kind of, like, stopped this stuff. But, yeah, we are recording the next episode in person, together. I believe my partner will also be on the episode, which is only fitting for an episode called When Harry Met Sally. She's mm. not
1: called Sally. But, she yeah. isn't
0: called Sally, but, like, we are a couple. So, I think, like, having that. Having you <laughs> nailed this big- it. You
1: nailed the brief.
0: Having us bicker for that entire episode will be top-tier podcasting uh, information. And we both watched all the Nora Ephron movies a couple of years ago, so we'll have some fun with that. That is our season-slash-series finale, episode 100, When Harry Met Sally. Matt is coming to The Big Smoke. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think he does actually semi-frequently, but visits the far away part from me.
1: I'm just chasing you around the map where you used to live, but no longer do. But yeah, um, fun fact, Ben and I have not seen each other in person in the entire time we've been podcasting. <laughs> Worked together for like a year, but like, yeah, since, since yeah, the that last The last
0: time I would have seen you would be my leaving drinks for the job that we, we shared together in 2017.
1: Yep. And then we started Podcasts, I think we, I guess we started Marvellous Journey in the run-up to Infinity War. Yep. Jeez, weird. But that's next week. That's next week. I look forward to it. Yep. I look forward to it falling through one last time. (laughs) At this point, it is like
0: three days away. So, short of one of us, like,
1: catching Train strikes are a thing, my friend.
0: Fuck, there's so many fucking strikes. My entire job at the moment is based around discussing fucking strikes, and it's love strikes hate having to like do things around strikes
1: had the most awkward moment with someone at work the other day i can't remember if i told you but like our boss asked us are you in the union and we weren't quite talking over each other but it was like in such quick succession that there was no time to react to the other person i said no but i should be and the other person said no i don't believe in them and i was like <laughs> perfect cool <laughs> excellent, like, opposite ends of the spectrum there.
0: Which is exactly why we are in the situation that we are in nowadays.
1: The parents are quite wealthy, is all I'll say.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right, so that leaves us only one final thing on this episode, and yeah. that is a question. Mm-hmm. And that question is, Matthew, Yes. will there be movies?
1: I don't know, but if Mike Tyson even thinks about fighting me, he better wake up and apologise. Um, <laughs> <laughs> even dreams about it. Fuck the line, but it's funny. Never. Anyway, bye everyone. Bye.
0: bye. And I did it for so
1: long I got nothing to show All these-